The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, the Jews did not want the bodies left on the cross during the Sabbath, especially because that Sabbath was a a day of great solemnity. So they asked Pilate to have the legs of the crucified men broken and the bodies removed. Then the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you may also believe. His testimony is true, and he knows that he tells the truth. These things occurred so that the scripture might be fulfilled. None of his bones shall be broken. And again, another passage of scripture says, they will look on the one whom they have pierced. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts Set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, we've arrived at the sixth word in our Seven Last Words series, and you probably caught it at the beginning of the Gospel reading. The word is, it is finished. It is finished. And before we actually launch into this word, I actually want to tell you about the last two words in case you forgot them, in case you weren't listening with us before. But Jesus, in the fourth word, said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in the fifth word, he said, I thirst. And if you think about those words, those words have to do with need. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had taken upon himself the sin of the world. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, so that we might have his righteousness. I mean, that's the whole point of his going to the cross, for our salvation, so that we might know his righteousness. And so he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting the 22nd Psalm. And experiencing that weight of the sin and the pain of that sin and the broken communion with the Father. That's a desperate spiritual need. Last week we talked about I thirst, which actually has layers of need in it. If you, again, realize everything that Jesus is going through, physically dehydration because of the blood loss, because of probably not taking in any fluids and sweating. And you consider emotionally that he was misunderstood, that he was despised, that he was betrayed, he was deserted. And you add all of those together and desperate emotional need as well as physical need, but and spiritually, because he was experiencing that forsakenness, and so he felt empty, empty at every level of what one might feel, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Today, the cry, it is finished, is not like those two, because it's more of a cry of completion or triumph, completely different than saying, I have this desperate need. It's, I've done it. I've completed this. 
I've accomplished what God has asked me to accomplish. And think about yourself when you finish something, how you feel. Most of the time when you finish something, whether it be something related to work or a task or a test or even a meal, there's a sense of satisfaction or a sense of relief. That's what this cry is about. It's different than the other cries where he's concerned for the crowds and concerned for his mother and John. And It's about victory. It's about completion. And all of us at one time or another have experienced that at some level. I shared this story with some of you, but it's just one of those that comes to mind when I think about this whole sense of completion or relief or satisfaction. <clears throat> there are several tasks I like to do where I experience completion. One is yard work. I love to look at the yard work when I'm done and say, that looks really nice. But a lot of times, unless I really complete the whole task, I look at the work that still needs to be done. And two or three years ago, my good friend Rick McDevitt, one of the owners of Ocean Woods, said, Greg, I can make it so much easier for you. I'll give you this trimmer on a pole that's not, that's not real light, by the way. And he said, it'll just take you a few minutes to do your azaleas and everything. Well, once I saw what this thing could do, power tools, men in their power tools, I decided that I was going to go crazy and just do everything that I could reach and everything that needed to be trimming. So I went out with this pole trimmer, and I was cutting the azaleas, and then I went on to the other plants, the red-tipped petunias and, and some of the trees that could block sun from the grass. And I just, three hours... Three hours. And toward the end of it, my arms were getting very fatigued, the muscles. And I remember saying, I need to take a break. And I shook my arms and I rubbed my arms and I went back to it and shook my arms and rubbed my arms and went back to it. Finally, three hours, the thing ran out of battery. And I completed the task. I was done. And I looked around and I said, wow, this looks great. And I'm, I'm putting the thing away and my arms are really hurting. And I'm thinking, this will go away, you know, just a little annoyance. Well, as the day progressed, they started really hurting. And then, when I woke up the next morning, I swore I tore my bicep. Because I could barely move my arm and I could barely control my arm. So I immediately called uh, Dr. Jordan up, went over to see Dr. Jordan. He said, no, but you have a severe strain. You're going to need to go for therapy. And I'm thinking, oh, great. What's this going to take? So then I had to go through the therapy, and I was relieved after that that it only took three days of therapy, and I was pretty much back to normal. And if you think about my timetable, that was like Saturday or Sunday that I did that, and three days later, so I was ready for golf on Thursday. It was really a blessing. <laughs> because I'm conjuring up all this idea that, oh my goodness, how long is this going to take? And they even say, if you ever talk to people who have been tortured or read anything about people... If they know there's an end in sight, if they know there's a timetable, they can endure it. But if you don't know the end, you don't know what the outcome's going to be, then it's a little more difficult, which is what all of us are experiencing with this coronavirus, by the way. We don't know what impact it's going to have. We don't know the extent of it. We don't know how long. See, we always look for that sense of completion, finish, 
reaching the goal, relief, satisfaction, whatever it is, we look for that. And when it doesn't come and when we don't know if it's ever going to come, then we experience that desperation. Even more, we can experience fear, anxiety. It's, it's a pain that's difficult to fathom sometimes. I was thankful that, in fact, I experienced both emotions. I looked at the yard after all that and I was satisfied. But then I was in pain. And then after the pain came the relief and I was satisfied again. We're always looking for that. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he was about to complete what it was he was called to do. So it was a cry of completion. It is finished. And for those of you that like completion, like to see things done, see, I'm one of those that doesn't deal real well with loose ends all the time. Or something that's incomplete. Something that's hanging out there that I've got to do. Because it's on my mind. Ministry, a lot of times, you don't see a completion. You don't see a fulfillment. That's one of the reasons I like to do yard work. And I like to cook. And I like to eat. I like a round of golf because at the end of 18 holes, you're finished. And then you got your score and you can enter it into your scorecard thing. So that you know your handicap. There's completion. There's satisfaction. Jesus knew. Jesus knew that he was called to complete a task. And it's really interesting because if you know his life, and in particular, if you know his life in the last 24 hours, he refers to two different experiences that he already expressed completion about. It's most fascinating. Because if you know John 16 and John 17... Before we get to John 19, when he's on the cross and says, it is finished, he had already referred to twice having completed something. He talked to the apostles so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete. In other words, the kind of joy that Jesus was saying he experienced is complete joy that he wants to impart to his apostles, his disciples, for those who believe, for those that will eventually come to faith and receive the Holy Spirit and be filled to overflowing with joy. That's what he's saying. Even right before the cross. Because he knew that was his goal. To bring salvation, to bring eternal life, to bring security and peace in the fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. As well as love. So he's saying, I feel this complete joy. I want you to know it. And that's why I go to do what I do. Secondly, in John 17, when he's praying, he prays for his apostles, disciples. He prays for uh, everybody around him. He prays for himself. He prays for the world. And in the context of that prayer, he says, Father, I thank you that I have completed everything you've given me to do. I would love to know that experience of having completed everything. But can you imagine that Jesus knew in his earthly life and ministry he had completed everything that the Father had called him to do? 
And yet, on the other hand, there was one more thing yet to accomplish, a different kind of focus, a different kind of ministry, the ministry where he would pay for our sin, a little different than having revealed himself, talked about the kingdom of God, preached, taught, miracles, healed people. So what was he saying here? He had completed the task of fulfilling the law. He said, I've not come to abolish the law, I've come to fulfill it. Perfect. Which the word perfect in the Greek also means complete or wholeness. I've lived it. I've lived it. It's complete. And then he goes on to talk about, if you will, that he's fulfilling the prophecies, will fulfill the prophecies, does fulfill the prophecies. Complete. Wholly and completely the prophecies of the Messiah. That he fulfills the role of the final sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice. The Jewish sacrificial system of sacrifices that were needing to be done for sin. Sacrifice of the atonement. The annual sacrifice over and over again. Animal sacrifice, the blood. And Jesus is saying, this is the final shedding of blood that needs to take place because it's my blood that washes you. And you're cleansed and you're whole because of me. The sacrificial system is no longer necessary. Which is why the veil of the temple is torn in two. So that we have access to the Father. Unimpeded. Intimacy, relationship, love. So Jesus is saying, I came to complete what needed to be done. To win salvation, to show you how life is to be lived, to show you the true Messiah. So it was a cry of completion, it was a cry of triumph, too. You know, sometimes when we cry out, when we yell, it's like, oh, I blew this, or I messed this up, or we're crying because we hurt. But sometimes it's like, you know, the cry of completion, yes. If you're a sports fan, you know. If you've experienced some kind of concert where or opera, or play that was perfect. And, you know, the sense of completion, the sense of, this is done. Triumph. Triumph. Now, it's interesting because, again, Palm Sunday, he rides on in triumph into Jerusalem. People are celebrating him. Our Messiah has come. They expected the warrior king to come in and take over, the kind of Messiah they wanted. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And yet at the same time, he would also bring success, prosperity, comfort. Everything worldly is what people wanted. Everything worldly. And he said, that's not why I'm here. Yes, I'm going to conquer. In fact, going back to John 16 again, Jesus says... I have conquered the world. But it's not the kind of conquering that everybody was expecting. Not the warrior king that would come in and annihilate all the enemies and lift the people up and then he would be on the throne and they would all be celebrating because they're all going to experience prosperity and success. And he says in the upper room, I've conquered the world. What has he done? He's loved people. He's cared for people. He's washed feet. 
got the word of the kingdom of God out. He lived the life. The perfect life. His triumph was different. In John 16, when he says, I've conquered the world, foreshadowed in John 3.16, one of the most famous verses, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. His conquering of the world was out of love. Was out of self-sacrifice. That's what his conquering of the world was. Not what the people expected. Not even what we always want. But that's what Jesus was talking about. In fact, his conquering of the world, one of the most famous passages that we often read on Good Friday... Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases. We accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin. There it is. An offering for sin. That's why he came. That's what he came to conquer, sin and death. And he did it in humility. He did it as a suffering servant, that Messiah. And so the the other part of the cry is it was a cry of redemption. It was completion. It was triumph. It was redemption. You know, I'm a coupon guy. I love coupons. Just ask my family. I love vouchers. And in the ancient, the ancient world of Jesus' day, if something was paid for, or there was a voucher for it, it would be stamped to telestai. To telestai is the one Greek word, because most of the commerce that was done during Jesus' day was done in Greek. To telestai, it is paid for. It is finished. That's the Greek term. One word in Greek. We use three. It is finished. Greek, to telestai, it's paid for. See, and it's something we can't pay for. Jesus would tell parables about forgiveness. The denarii versus 10,000 talents. A debt that could not have been paid. And that's when Jesus cried out this redemptive cry. It's because he paid for us. In fact, Mark says in his gospel, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A ransom. That's that's the voucher. That's the coupon, if you will. The ransom for us. In fact, usually when you think ransom, you think kidnapping. This was more. He was killed. Because that's what we deserve is death. Paul writes in Romans, the power of sin is death. He writes in Corinthians the same. But see, Jesus, because he gave his life in our place for our sin, purchased our salvation. That's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. Purchased our salvation. You were bought with a price. 
And the price was the life of Jesus Christ. That's, that's the blessing. That's what we think about on Palm Sunday and throughout this week. Until we come to Easter when we know, we know, because of the power of the resurrection, that he has defeated the power of sin and death in our lives. You know, if you think about every aspect of your life, God created you. God sustains you. Whether you recognize it or not, whether you believe it or not, it's the truth. God created you and God sustains you. In, in, in some ways, that's the fun part. That's the fun part for God, too. I mean, he created you and you're unique. Every one of you are unique. Some are more unique than others, but everybody's unique. He sustains you. Even amidst the coronavirus, you need to recognize he's sustaining you right now. And he will sustain you. For everything you need. Maybe not everything you want, but everything you need. He will sustain you. You see, the tough part is the redemptive part. That he came and took our place and died for us, for our sin. It cost him. It cost him pain and suffering and separation. It cost God the Father the life of his son. It cost Jesus the pain and the suffering, the misunderstanding, the being despised and betrayed and deserted for the torture and the death that he didn't deserve. All of that. He didn't deserve it. He did it for us. To pay the price for us. You know, I have said this several times through the years, but it bears repeating. Justice is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace is getting what you do not deserve. We are receiving mercy and grace through the cross of Jesus Christ. His gift to us. That's what this week is about as we celebrate Palm Sunday and Monday, Thursday and Good Friday and Easter. You know, we talk about amazing grace. What was amazing at the cross when Jesus is there and he's forgiving people for doing what they do and he's crying out in desperate need What's amazing is that people there didn't understand him, rejoiced in what he was going through, despised him. I mean, if you think of all those people around the cross that were glad he was dying, but not understand the purpose or point of his dying. But what's also amazing, the amazing grace the gift of his sacrifice, the gift of his love. Grace is a gift, what we do not deserve. And that's why Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for you and me. The price we could not pay. To complete it for all of us. For God so loved the world, I have conquered the world. Out of love for our sake. So when Jesus cried, it is finished. The work of salvation is finished. He's completed it for us. And he wants to finish his work in you and through you. 
which is why we give our lives in return. That's what we reflect on this week. And it is finished. When you accept it, accept Him. When you receive Him and allow Him to do His finished work in you, you'll know this complete joy that He promises in the upper room right before His death. Because He's completed it, He's the victor. And He's redeemed us by faith. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for paying a debt we could not pay, to be debt-free, free from the power of sin, free from the power of death. We thank you for your incredible love, your incredible grace that you pour out to us, that you won the victory for us. that you knew when you cried, it is finished. Open our hearts and minds to the power of your Holy Spirit moving in us, changing us, finishing your work in us. For our sake, for the sake of others, and for the sake of your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name.